Welcome to Weekday Worship. Weekday Worship. I thought you were going to like cry like a baby. What? Why would I cry like a baby? Because we're in the nursing mother's room. Oh, because we're in the nursing mother's room. <laughs> we found a new studio at the church. We've we found an, a new, more uh, soundproofed studio I, in the church building. I think and it's, it's the, my new preferred spot. It's the nursing mother's room. <laughs> we're both sitting in rocking chairs with blankets behind us. We are. I was in a glider a moment ago, but it was a little squeaky <laughs> for the podcast. <laughs> So uh, I feel yeah. like I feel like I'm at like we're literally in two wooden walking. Sometimes chairs. I feel like in, we're at Cracker Barrel. <laughs> sometimes inconveniences lead to the best things, right? Like we were inconvenienced by outside power tools going nuts yes. at the over in the prayer room because we care so much so, about sound engineering on this yeah, podcast. Yeah, uh, we relocated, and somehow it's never even dawned on us that we could be yeah. in this beautiful. So we're in the bunker, room. the baby bunker. We are hunkered down. Yeah, uh, we got baby wipes within reach, and yes. Uh, diaper cream as well. Yes, all the necessities. <laughs> <laughs> indeed. Oh boy, indeed. Well, how are you, Mr. Rowell? I'm good, sir. Reverend how are Rowell. you? Um, chipper, chipper. We're recording this on Halloween or Reformation Day. Which which do we want to call it? Which, um, which name shall we give it? The thirty well, first of October. We are Christians and we are Protestants at that, so we should probably refer to it as Reformation Day. Yeah. Um, you want to? Explain that. What Reformation Day is? Yeah. Symbolically, it is the uh, a day that commemorates when the Reformation began, when Martin Luther uh, nailed his 95 theses to the door of the chapel at Wittenberg, and uh, a lot of stuff happened after that. <laughs> a few things went down. A few down. things. It kind of set the world on fire in some yeah. ways. And... Uh, uh, um, it's a, that's a much better story to tell than Halloween. Yeah. So then, why don't you uh, kind of fill in what Day of the Dead is, <laughs> or I don't know, All Hallows Eve, or I something I don't like know. that. I actually don't know the history. Of yeah, I don't really know the whole story around it either. I'm sure there's plenty of YouTube for that. Yeah. So we're so calling it Reformation Day. If you were going trick or treating out tonight and you had to dress up as a reformer, who would it be? Oh, that's a great question. Which would be your? I reformer? actually said. That, uh, Paul Wilson wanted us to dress up at our staff meeting today, which was interesting. <laughs> I would have loved to know what he was thinking of dressing up as. Yeah. Um, but I said, no, it's Reformation Day. We should dress up as our favorite reformer. He said he didn't have the garb for that. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. If I had to dress up as my favorite reformer, that's a great question. I'd probably... Well, actually, my, my favorite... My favorite figure from the Reformation is actually a woman. I don't know that it would be proper for me to to dress up as her. <laughs> It'd be a very 2023 thing to do. It, it would. It would. I don't think she'd appreciate it uh, if, she, if she knew about it. But a lady, Her name is Lady Jane Grey. Look her up at home. Lady Jane Grey lady is your Jane favorite Grey. Protestant reformer. Yes. This feels like a very, um, I don't know, like, a very man of the people kind of maneuver on your part to choose a woman from among all the reformers. No, I've been saying this for a while. There's a lot of people in this church who I've told mm-hmm. to about Lady Jane gotcha. Grey. Actually, somebody somebody has a book that I gave them that they have not returned to me with a section on Lady Jane Grey that I told them to read. 
I think it's Bob. Bob. Denim. Yes, Bob Denim. Gotcha. Bob, I need my book. <laughs> uh, also, uh, it's Halloween. It is Reformation Day, and it is Tommy Henley's birthday. Is it? I'm not sure he's a loyal listener, but his wife is. So, Marty, if you want to pass along a happy birthday to your husband. Yeah. Uh, from weekday worship. And Lady Jane. And, and Lady Jane. <laughs> Lady Jane from, bewishes you from, first. From a few years ago. <laughs> oh, uh, boy. Yeah. Who are it's you dressing up. up as? Who am I dressing up as? Today, yeah. I don't know. I want to think of, like, some obscure name now. Why? Um, <laughs> because why not? I mean, um, the Pope? The Pope? <laughs> no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> Which Pope? <laughs> I, I don't Whoever was the Pope at the time, no. no you don't want to be I him. mean, uh, I mean, what, Luther, I guess? You'd, I mean, that's you'd, the ma- you'd, make, pick, you'd right? make a good Jan Hus. <laughs> the proto John Hus. <laughs> Jan yeah. Hus. That's his name. Yeah. Jan Hus. Jan Hus. Yes. Um, yeah. He, um, said, he said a great swan would arise after his death. Who was that swan? Martin Ron. Luther. <laughs> <laughs> said Ron. Ron Swan. Uh, Ron Swan. That is who. No. He's the great reformer swan. Yeah. <laughs> well. Shout out to Ron. And who I also don't know if he listens, but his wife does. Jackie. And Sean Huss. <laughs> Jackie, you can pass on. Yes. <laughs> I don't know whatever that is. A Ron reference. We need to do, we need to do some episodes on some reform figures. Um, you think? From people, people from the Reformation. Jan Hus, Martin Luther. Yeah. You remember a few years ago when we read the Martin Luther biography with, uh, we had a good yeah. group. It was like you, Scotty, Ryan, Tyler, Matt, you must have read, read that with them separately. Oh, but I thought you guys were coming then to. Oh, you know, you might. I think we were I think all you're right. I think you're right. I think you're that right. That was kind of a fun yeah. walkthrough. Yeah. Great. There's a great book if you want to know anything about Martin Luther. It's called Here I Stand by Roland Bainton. Yeah. It's like the biography on Luther that everybody loves to Yeah, super read. good. Really good. Yeah. I was just telling a, a Luther story today. You know, Luther was kind of a nut, mm-hmm. if you didn't know. Listeners, he was a little nutty. But as my grandmother used to say, you can be nutty as long as you're nutty for the right team. <laughs> he certainly was. Yeah. But he used to, uh, you know, he used to, uh, like before he was converted, one of his big things was he was scared of the devil. Like the devil was a big, uh, mm-hmm. big fear for him. And so it was a big thing he wrestled with and was very aware of after he discovered the gospel, the true gospel. And he said he would say at night when the when the devil would accuse him, be the accuser, you know, you're not a real Christian, you know, and those sorts of things. He said he would do two things. He said he would always tell the devil to remember his baptism, right? That he had uh, died with Christ and been raised with him. So he'd mm-hmm. always point out his baptism to the devil. And he said he would flatulate towards the devil <laughs> out of disrespect. That it, was his. That was his warfare. Do you think that's where Monty Python got the line "I'll fart in your general direction" <laughs> from? Uh, I, maybe the boys at Monty Python were reading Table Talk. <laughs> you don't think they were? Know. You don't think they were reading up on Luther? Remember, I wouldn't put it past them. You remember his wife Catherine was her name, and yeah. she was. They were. Uh, Luther was never going to be married, and then mm-hmm. it, it was sort of was yeah. a funny way that this thing developed. He was a former monk. She was a former uh, nun. nun. Yeah. And uh, so they ended up getting married and uh, a little later in life and everything. But I remember one of those stories about, like, he was, uh, 
he, he was kind of under the attack from like all these outside forces, you know, and he would sometimes go into like cycles of depression or whatever and yeah, he kind yeah. of like he really struggled with that mm-hmm. and so there was one point where he was going through that and so she like one day dresses up in all black and like a black veil and everything and goes <laughs> she she comes to the front door as if she's visiting the house and um, and she knocks on the door and he comes to the door and she's basically mocking him and she goes, <laughs> she says something like, oh, I, I heard there's going to be a funeral today for Martin Luther or whatever. Like she was just kind of giving yeah, him a hard yeah, time yeah. about like being, ha- having all uh, this self-pity yeah, or whatever. Yeah. And so she just kind of made fun of him like that. I'm like, man, that only a wife can pull that kind of thing off. They're funny. She's really cool too. You guys yeah. should look her up. Anyway. Well. Reformation day. Yeah. We've got, you know, I, that makes me want to do some. Some episodes on Reformation figures. Uh, we may have to do New that. idea. New idea. New idea for the pod right there. I feel like my rocking chair is creaking. There's a few creaks in it. It's, so it's kind of a... I feel it, like if... It's a back home episode. Yeah, if we were... It's it's more of like an old man on the back porch episode. Except we're in a nursing mother's room. Eh, they don't guts to know that. <laughs> they imagine <laughs> we're on a rickety old front porch. We're like in the Louisiana swamp. Would you be? Would you rather a front porch or a back porch? I'm a front porch man. Yeah. I am too. I wish you know I had something a front porch. wild? What? I actually have some stuff on creating front porches in this episode. Look at that transition. Hey now! Holy moly! Cool. That is like prophetic. Hey, good uh, segue. Yeah. So this episode is about what? It is about hospitality. Hospitality. Yes. Yes. That seems like a strange thing to we, do an episode James, on. Why on earth would we do we're that? We're going to rate our preferred hotels and their hospitableness for the audience. <laughs> I, I don't do that much traveling, bro. <laughs> I don't either. <laughs> we are probably not the two best people to do that, though. Yeah. We, it would be probably, we could rate, like, hospitality at fast food restaurants. Uh, yeah. That was, that's not even that hard to do, actually. I've heard that you ha- you're not a big fan of the hospitality at the local Norcross McDonald's. You're not a big fan of, of their business operation. You've heard this? Yeah, from, from your children. I don't they, remember this. They but. said they that the, the McDonald's messed up your order like a couple times in a row or something, and you got so ticked that you guys, you wouldn't go there for like a year. I don't know. I don't recall any of that. Well, there's, I, this is eyewitness testimony from no, reliable I think, witnesses. I don't think there was ever, like, a tick. Uh, they are notorious for their ice cream machine being down. Mm. Uh, so when you want to take the kids to get ice cream and they're out of the Back ice cream. in the day, okay. yeah. I mean, we used to live right down the street, like, literally, like, around the corner from it. Mm-hmm. years. But that's been, like, eight years ago. Yeah. Um, I just don't eat McDonald's because, you know, I'm a grown-up. So I like a good McDonald's. Every I'm McDonald's. sure you do. That was a little. That was a little mean. When you get into your forties, you can't afford to like McDonald's, Caleb. I guess it's just a thing. I guess. I mean, really, if you get into your thirties, you're gonna want to be cautious. McDonald's is like my blowout meal. You know, when I'm just like I'm at the end of my rope. <laughs> I don't think that means what you think it means. Like, like your blow. It's everybody's blowout meal. Let's be. <laughs> let's be clear. No, I mean like when I'm when I'm like super oh stressed. That's I, where you go? And <laughs> That's your comfort food? I mean, it's better than saying, like, I go down to the local bar, you know. It's like when I'm super stressed and I've just had it and had enough, I'll just... You get, you get a Big Mac attack. I will go and I'll get, I'll get a 10-piece nugget, sometimes 20, <laughs> a Big Mac on the side, large fry, Dr. Pepper. And I just, I self-pity for a little bit. 
I mean, you should feel sorry for yourself if you're eating. You've that. never done that. Never? Of course, I've done that. Yeah. Not in a very long time. It's it feels sleazy, you know. It like, feels like a like a terrible thing to do. Yeah, it's more. That's more like something you do to punish yourself, not to find comfort for yourself. I find lots of comfort in, <laughs> in it. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I I'll tell you the one thing I would be a sucker for there, and I and I don't ever do this, but if I if you said fillet of fish, if you said no <laughs> McRib, no. Um, oh boy, no, just joking. Uh, if you said gun to head, I've got to go to McDonald's and get something. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm going sausage, sausage, egg, and cheese McMuffin. Okay, that's respectable. With yeah. a hash brown on the side. Sure. I like their hash browns. Yeah, take it or leave it. All right, we got to stop here. <laughs> what uh, are we doing? You said something about a front porch. I did, say, I did say something hospitality. about a front porch. We're talking we're, about hospitality. We're talking about hospitality because it's a new month. Yes. It's the first week of a new month, and we are working through our monthly, we have a spiritual practice every month that we're focusing on. And mm-hmm. uh, so we're introducing that practice with the first podcast of every month. And so that's what this is. Yes. And it is on hospitality, which we are framing as an evangelistic practice mm-hmm. under the category of our discipleship of mission. Yes. And that's distinct from what we did in October, which was eating, eating as a spiritual practice under the... Though very connected, obviously. For sure. But under the category of community, mm-hmm. uh, community and eating went together, and that was a sort of uh, connective practice. Yeah. This is hospitality under the heading of mission, and it's for an evangelistic practice. So, yeah. yeah. And so the way we've been engaging or, or uh, slicing these up on the podcast has been by looking at each topic from... Uh, kind of three different angles. First, asking ourselves, how are we already being formed in this area or formed against this area? So how is culture or surroundings actually shaping us to to, to not do these things well or not do them at all? Uh, and then asking, how do we how do we get reformed by, uh, by the Bible uh, and how it talks to us about how we understand these things, both in the narrative of the story it tells us we're in and the practicality of how we do it? And then lastly, we've been thinking through, okay, what are some some jumping off points in terms of getting going uh, practically with these uh, with these topics? So, yeah. uh, and today, like James said, hospitality. So I tried to think through, what are some things that stop hospitality? But here's something, maybe even before, how would you define the word hospitality? I had a, like, I, I, I saw some definitions, I wasn't necessarily pleased with all of them. I don't know, like, what do you think of when you think hospitality? Um, I, I mean, in its simplest form, I think we, I would think of openness of home and heart and life uh-huh. to outsiders. Yeah. Yes. Uh, so, I mean, what James just said is the basic meaning of the word. So the, the, the word that we translate hospitality in the New Testament is literally uh, openness to strangers mm-hmm. or like uh, taking in strangers. Which which I think is very distinct from, and the reason that we have, while there is overlap, the reason we've distinguished these as one eating or fellowship as a connective practice that is connective within the family of God, and hospitality is an evangelistic practice mm-hmm. under the heading of mission, is because the biblical meaning is, I think we even talked about this at the beginning of last month with the eating episode, um, the idea of biblical hospitality is particularly a welcoming of the stranger. Yes. Not yes. your family, 
it's not someone you're already familiar and comfortable with who's yeah. already within your sphere of, of reach. Yeah, like your sister and brother-in-law coming in town from, you know, Colorado for yeah. the weekend and you yeah. hosting them at your house would not be considered biblical hospitality in the sure. strictest sense. Sure. Um, so it has this element of engaging with people you don't know or people you you haven't been around uh, for the purpose of... Uh, uh, tending to them or uh, giving to them or taking care of them or building uh, a relationship with them in some ways by uh, opening yourself or your home up to them. Yeah, and and in the biblical category of this, it also has in mind the idea that you're doing for something for someone who is unable to reciprocate the thing you're doing back. Yes. So it's a, a giving to and a welcoming in for someone who's who's unable to um, to do the same in return. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so what are some things that we think uh, hold us back from being hospitable? Uh, some things that I thought about were, in our current moment, polarization. I think we're just, we're, it's uncomfortable because we don't know what we're getting into with other people sure. by inviting them into our lives. Yeah. Uh, there's a lot of tension around uh, you know, our politics and other people's politics or our culture and their culture mm-hmm. or we're just, I think there's a level of, it's just safer relationally. That to me is the word. It's yeah. safe. Yeah. Um, the, the idea of kind of reaching outside of your, your own sphere and your own comfort zone, mm-hmm. it, there's a risk involved. However small it might be, yeah. we, we don't want to risk, you know, having somebody we don't know into our home uh, for a whole bunch of different reasons that feels yeah. risky and unsafe. Yeah, Yeah, I think, so dialing in on on hospitality in terms of bringing people into our, our homes, uh, I think a lot of us think of our homes as our refuge. And well, so, yeah, and sure. so we're, we kind of, we do not, we don't get excited about letting people into that refuge. Yeah, that's the place we go to shut out the world, yes. not the place we go to, to invite, invite them in the world. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I think a lot of us have that sort of default in our head of what home is as a place where you close off, not where we open up. Mm-hmm. Uh, that kind of discourages us, discourages us uh, in this way. Uh, here's one that I think really applies to, to the home. This came up a lot as I was doing some research for this is... Uh, I, I first saw this in a, an article that Christianity Today ran earlier this year called uh, "Is HGV, HGTV Killing Our Hospitality?" <laughs> and uh, the idea the idea was basically this uh, idol of a perfect home that we all have, mm. um, where because of the kind of the pressure on the aesthetics of our homes mm-hmm. and uh, you know having these kind of very fashionable and trendy and uh, kind of put together homes that could be on TV inside and out. We, we, there's a lot of pressure around what our home's going to look like when people come into it. Will they think it's, you know, old or outdated or messy or not up to trend, you know, these sorts of things. And uh, it can become so obsessive that it either just makes us not want to have people over because we're embarrassed of our own homes, or mm-hmm. we're so obsessed with how people are going to think of it. We don't actually do much engaging with the people. We're so obsessed with how they're 
thinking about the house. Yeah. Um, yeah, and there underneath, like, or even if you do it, it creates so much strain because you have to get the house to that certain level of presentableness, and so it creates such stress and and anxiety in the lead up that then it takes the joy out of it. Yeah. Um, in terms of preparation, so maybe you maybe you end up creating a warm physical environment that is yeah. void of an emotional and relationally warm in yeah, <laughs> yeah, environment because yeah. you're on edge or the people in your home are on edge because of that. And um, so there's, yeah, there's some, yeah. a range of effects because of, of that. So here's a subtle thing in culture that we need to distinguish. The difference between entertaining and being hospitable. Hmm. That's good. So the idea of entertaining big in our culture, especially amongst people with a little more money, is the idea of having people over so that they see kind of the setup you've got. Mm-hmm. And that can come in a lot of different forms. I can come with, you know, some guys wanting to show off their, you know, the, their the smoker, outdoor their kitchen they put outside, you yeah. know, or their their surround sound room yeah. or their gun room or, you know, those things. Yeah, the man or, cave. Yeah, or, you know, the, the, the lady trying to show off, you know, the, the latest – you know, trends of the furniture and the kitchen and maybe the pool, you know, all these sorts of things. Uh, we know what that looks like. Mm-hmm. Some, of us, we, some of us can think of very, like, belligerent examples where we've been over to somebody's house that's, like, super wealthy or something. And that you just know they're obsessed with making sure you know that they've got a cool place, you know? Yeah. <laughs> like, it, it's, we, we've seen that sort of, like, belligerence. Mm-hmm. But I think a lot of times we can unconsciously try to be like that in, in terms of, this mindset of making sure people are impressed with with our setup, with what we've got, mm-hmm. and kind of how put together we are. Like, like so, I'll give you a definition of entertaining that I found in uh, in some of this some of these articles that I read. This is a definition from uh, Martha Stewart. It's the first Who knows Mar- a thing or two about entertaining. She does. Uh, she has a book called Entertaining. <laughs> this is the, it. Could be the first and only reference ever to a Martha Stewart piece of literature on this podcast, so (laughs) prepare yourself. Uh, She says, quote, entertaining, like cooking, is a little selfish because it really involves pleasing yourself with a guest list that that will coalesce into your ideal of harmony, with a menu orchestrated to your home and taste, with decorations subject to your own eye. Given these considerations, it has to be pleasurable. So the idea there is that entertaining is actually about you reveling in your own stuff and letting people see you revel in it <laughs> in some ways. Um, yeah. So maybe a, a way to kind of contrast these two things. Is that where you're going? Go ahead. Okay. A way to contrast these two things of, uh, okay, w- difference between entertainment and hospitality is thinking about, uh, uh, if you're thinking about entertaining, you think you want people to be impressed with your home. Yeah. Hospitality wants to minister to people with your home. Mm-hmm. Uh, entertainment says, this house is mine. Uh, hospitality says, this house is a, just a gift mm-hmm. that God has given me to use. So, like, I found somebody that wrote, like, a basically a contrast list. You know, if you're looking at a list mm-hmm. and they said, uh, uh, entertainment is, I want to look good. Hospitality says, I want Jesus to look good. Mm. Entertaining says, emphasis on food or outer appearance. Hospitality says, emphasis on the hearts of those in your home. 
Entertainment says preoccupied or apologetic about messes. Hospitality says humbled by the mess and can still serve. Entertaining says goal is to impress. Hospitality says goal is to serve. Mm. Yeah, it's... um... I mean, there's a lot of subtlety in some of those differences. Yes, like that. Very I mean, it might subtle. seem obvious when you go through them, but the way in which we engage them is not as obvious because anything could look a certain way mm-hmm. and have it be either one of those. Yeah, you know? yeah. Like, like I think we could all agree that while it would be appropriate to recognize in a home such as ours, where you know you have a bunch of kids and all that, like people live here. Mm-hmm. And it's okay to have people over into our home where it's obvious that people live there. At the same time, like, so so we clean up and we put yeah, things yeah. in order. At the same time, like, well, and we may not do so perfectly, but, like, it wouldn't be hospitable to, like, leave toys all over the sure, place. Sure, and, sure, like, sure. So there is a range of, like, we're not saying yeah. disheveled, uncaring, yeah, unthinking, yeah. just yeah. leave your place the way it is, have people over the idea is that, hey, our home, it's, the contrast is this, maybe, maybe this is an oversimplification, but instead of going, hey, my home is a place where we get refuge, no, 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 it's a place where you give refuge to others. Yes. Instead of it being our safe place, mm-hmm. this is a place to give others safety. Mm-hmm. And, and so you want to create an environment both aesthetically, yeah. but also emotionally, spiritually, relationally, mm-hmm where people can come and find rest for their yeah. souls. Like, yeah. that's really the ministry of hospitality. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think about it being anchored, and I don't know if you've kind of done it when we think about, you know, from a biblical standpoint, like, I think about the way God calls Israel in the Old Testament to treat the foreigner and the stranger, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? Yeah. Um, we talked a lot about that last time on eating. Yeah. And and so, like, I think if we, if we think about the... You know, people from the nations as generally referred to in terms of their pagan idolatry and their opposition to God, there are those who are the strangers, the alien, the foreigner among you, which are individuals who in some way, uh, it would seem, are coming out from among the nations because of an openness to Yahweh, right? And God's telling his people, look, you were once strangers and aliens and I brought you in. Mm Mm-hmm. What did God do? He extended a hospitable welcome to someone who had no part in him. Yeah. And that's what he's done for us. And so that's how Israel then was to treat the sojourner among yes. them. And I think that's the, the mm-hmm. sort of introductory kind of idea that we have to what biblical hospitality is. Yeah, yeah. It's us giving a welcome to the sojourner in a spiritual sense or yeah. otherwise, saying like, yeah. hey, this is a place you can come and navigate the things of life and figure some things out, but yeah. experience the grace of God and the peace of God and the warmth of Christ and, and yeah. yeah, all those things. Yeah, I. Uh, so what you were saying, you know, it's okay for a home to look like somebody lives there. Yeah. Right? I think the, 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 the feel of biblical hospitality as you read the scriptures is that the home is a busy place mm-hmm. with people there who are coming and going. Yeah. And that doesn't mean it's chaos. That doesn't mean it's not kept. But it means there's wear and tear on this place. <laughs> like it's being used yeah. to serve people. Yeah, it's not. You fine don't want t- people's response to be like, "Dear God, yeah. get me out of here." A home, <laughs> a, your home should not feel like fine china. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah. Like, um, and the obsessiveness I think around our culture of having such 
it being literally a piece of artwork for mm-hmm. you, for people to, to kind of gawk at in some ways, yeah. is actually hampers us from taking some of the risks of letting our house be a place where that has wear and tear with people coming and going um, in it. Yeah. So, yeah. Those are the those are the big ones I thought of. Um, okay, thinking about Bible. Okay, how do we reform here? How do we how do we put some of those idols off and put biblical hospitality to work? Um, well, can I just sure do whatever? Uh, let, let me let me back in just a second to to say it's interesting when you travel globally and cross culturally to experience what hospitality is like yeah. in other places and. Um, I mean, I think the we we've talked. I feel like probably ad nauseum at our and on the podcast over the years about the some of the deleterious effects of Western individualism or expressive individualism. That's another layer of this, right? Mm-hmm. Just that the the whole um, you know shut the garage door, have the the fence in front of the yard, like this thing of walling mm-hmm. out the outside yeah, yeah. world. And um, I think something that strikes me when I've traveled, though, for missions purposes and otherwise, is generally speaking, other cultures and the the overwhelming hospitality um, of how much, like, it means to them to have you in their home. Yeah. Um, and so people inviting you in. And, and one of the features other places that I think is is maybe something that we'll have to explore a little bit. One of the features when you go to other places is an inattention to time. Yes. There's a sort of lingering together that is unhurried mm-hmm. that I think our our busy lives that are very structured around tight time they're tables, digitalized yeah and we just man we schedule things tight and so one of the reasons we don't have people over uh-huh. is man if I can't have them over till seven I certainly don't want them here till 10 yeah. or 10 30 and you know I mean I, I'm not saying that every visit with anybody sure, should sure, be sure. unending sure but there is a sort of um, constrained nature to the way that we've yeah. ordered our lives. Definitely. So that hospitality is hard because meaningful hospitality often is just, oh, there's an organicness to it and, and in terms of how it flows and when it when it's over and that kind of thing. And so I think that's yeah. a dimension that I've seen elsewhere where it's usually unhurried, it's usually long-lasting. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. and here we tend to not want that. Yeah, definitely. So... If we're thinking about hospitality, I think a good way to think of it as a, it's really something that moves through you, is we're both a recipient of God's hospitality and a conduit of God's hospitality. Mm-hmm. So we first receive hospitality by God, <laughs> just what you're talking about with the, with Israel. Mm-hmm. You, you let them in because I let you in. Yeah. Right? So you've received something. That isn't kind of a, a cul-de-sac, right? It's actually something that has to now come through you to others. So now you're a conduit of that actual mm-hmm. hospitality you receive from God. Um, so let's let's just my my dad used to say that uh, that we are we're not reservoirs of God's grace, we're rivers of God's grace. Yes, right. Yes. Very in in this exactly. particular way. Yes. So let's just think through a couple texts, New Testament texts on this that just straight up tell us about hospitality and uh, and let it frame us for us. So Romans 12 is uh, a text where Paul is kind of giving some, some instructions for the Christian life. And after he's 
kind of unfolded the Christian story in some ways for chapters and chapters and chapters. And he says in Romans 12, starting verse 9 to 13, it says, Let love be genuine. Abhor what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. So I think, personally, when Paul says, let love be genuine, pretty much most of the things and the rest that he unpacks there are actually what it looks like for love to be genuine. Yeah, let love be genuine is the umbrella. Sure. Everything else is what falls under that. Yes. One of those things, show hospitality. So I think what Paul is saying, you want to know what genuine love looks like? It includes showing hospitality. Mm-hmm. Um, big deal there. I, I do think, too, while we're looking at a couple passages sure. uh, that are Paul and Peter, I presume, yep. that explain something of this or tap into this in terms of their instruction. Mm-hmm. One of the things we don't want to just gloss over is the ministry of hospitality that is characteristic and described, you know, so frequently within the book, within the gospel accounts and yeah. within the book of Acts yeah. as ministries that were functioning yeah. within Jesus's ministry. So give us an example. Uh, well, I'm just thinking about like the book of Acts where people are breaking bread with one another, yeah, or, yeah. Um, uh, the, the different people who opened their homes to the saints in different places. Mm-hmm. Uh, was it, who was it in, um, Philippi that they started the church there, uh, in Acts 18. Uh, what's the woman's name? <laughs> Wasn't Tabitha. Chloe? Why can't I remember her name? I don't remember her name. <laughs> um, there's a woman there, and so um, this is a good this is a good point. Um, like something we don't think about a lot because this isn't it's just not our this doesn't come up a lot for us. But even though it probably should, is in the New Testament when you read about the travels, one of the most important things for the gospel spreading was for when different ministry leaders traveled from town to town. That's that Christians who did not know them at all mm-hmm. would actually let them stay with them and yeah. put them up. Like you think about in this book, Romans 12, I mean, Romans uh, chapter 16, like Paul sends Phoebe, a deacon of the church. We preached about this a couple months ago. They didn't know her in Rome. Mm-hmm. She just comes out. She's coming to them. She's never met them. They'd never met her. And yeah. she comes with this recommendation from Paul. Um, and if she doesn't get that, it's a pretty dangerous thing. It's already a pretty dangerous journey. But one of the ways the church spread was by having hospitality hospitality going on amongst Christians who didn't know each other as they kind of traveled the the known world in mm-hmm. order to to spread the gospel. So hospitality was was vital for the ministry of the gospel to, yeah. to both spread and be supported. Right. Yeah. So just when you when you imagine the settings of yeah. ministry ha- taking place in Acts, in the gospel accounts, many of them are happening in people's homes and their courtyards and their sort of gathering spaces yeah. around tables of, of eating and dining together mm-hmm. and those kind of things. So um, I just wanted to make sure we don't, it, this is not just a, a, a Pauline idea or a sure. Peter idea for sure. how church should be structured. This yeah. is this is them giving clear instruction based on patterns that have been well established by this yeah, time. Yeah, definitely. Okay. Hebrews 13, if you look there, it says uh, something similar about showing hospitality to strangers. Um, uh, it says, Hebrews 13, 1 and 2, again, let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Quite a quite a little peppering 
a little nugget from the author of Hebrews there. Mm-hmm. Uh, do you think you've ever put up an angel in your house? Every day. <laughs> that was what, cheesy. What are you? What are you saying? Are you saying Betsy's not an angel straight from heaven? I think. Okay, that's probably. I think she's a human being. Yeah. Yeah. Um, I I don't know that I have. Yeah. You're not sure to answer the question directly. I don't. I don't think so. But it does put hospitality in the range of supernatural occurrences. Absolutely, <laughs> which is pretty wild. It does. Um, it definitely does. Yeah. So, if you want to entertain some angels, show hospitality to strangers. Yes. That's all I have to say about that. <laughs> That's all you got, huh? Yeah. Nothing else. I'm just I'm just throwing the scriptures out, Pastor. Yeah. Um, I mean, I do think. I do think that's an interesting, well, it, it's interesting that he puts entertaining in there. <laughs> yeah. I haven't done any research on this yeah, idea, yeah. but we, we, we juxtaposed hospitality uh-huh. and entertainment. Yeah, they seem to use them uh, somewhat interchangeably there. Uh-huh. <laughs> um, but, but I don't think, I mean, I, I'm not sure this is the thrust of this text, but mm-hmm. I, I do think it's something worth noting that, that part of the supernaturalized ministry of God's people Includes the ministry of hospitality. Yeah, I mean Jesus says something stronger than this. Remember, remember when Jesus says, uh, when he says, uh, "You didn't feed me, you yeah. didn't clothe me, you didn't bring me in." They're like, "When? When did? When did that happen?" Yeah. And they were like, and, and Jesus is like, "When you didn't do it to the least of these." Mm-hmm. Jesus says something a little stronger than just entertaining yeah. animals. Like, you didn't entertain me. Right. Uh, by not being hospitable to these people. Yeah, and he's specifically referring to those of a lower social class, those of a, yes. of a on the societal underside, mm-hmm. and talking about our responsibility before him to minister to such people. Yeah, yeah. Okay. The, the, look, this is, I mean, I'm, I'm going backwards a little bit, back to like things that, back to when we were talking about safety, but specifically it's like, man, our world has so many... Like, how many times have you ever, like, been burdened when you've seen a a poor person on an exit ramp or in a parking lot in a shopping center and something in your heart is like, I wish I could mm-hmm, do something. Mm-hmm. I wish I could take them back to the house and let them get a shower and a home-cooked meal and, you know, have some fellowship. But it, but as quickly as you have a thought like that, you you think something like, but that wouldn't be responsible. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Especially, like... For me, with a wife and kids, like sure. showing somebody where I live and putting them around my yeah. family, like so when I when I I don't mean to be trivial when I say safety is a concern of ours, mm-hmm. like or like that's a real thing mm-hmm. that really shapes how we think about this yeah. kind of thing. Definitely, definitely. Okay, here's a text I wanted to get to that I think if we're talking about that idea of what story do we live in and where are we at, First mm. Peter chapter four. We're going to talk about some eschatology in things. Last days. We're going to talk about the last days right now. It's been a hot topic lately. A very hot topic. In the world. Yes. We're going to settle everybody's. Peter has some instruction on when it is and (laughs) what you do with that. What do you do when it, when is it and what do you do with it? Mm -hmm. This is for 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 7 through 9. It says, the end of all things is at hand. All things. End of all things. Last days. History is coming to its conclusion. Yes. And he says, Therefore, 
be self-controlled and sober-minded for the sake of your prayers. Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, since love covers a multitude of sins. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. That's an interesting... Okay. (laughs) Above all, keep loving one another earnestly, for love covers a multitude of sins. Yes. So that's one layer. All these texts have started with love, if you notice that. Hebrews and Romans. But that's not at all disconnected from the following sentence that says, uh, show hospitality to one another, Mm -hmm. not begrudgingly, but without grumbling. Yes. Which is to say, hey, even as we talk about this subject and we think about this practice for the month of November, some of you, maybe you're thinking towards Thanksgiving, maybe you're just thinking towards whatever, like who could I invite into our world and show hospitality toward? Some of you might think about it, and it, the idea of going there is going to be a slog. Mm-hmm. And even the executing of it, you may be really um, anxious about it, frustrated mm-hmm. by it, not wanting to do it, or just dismissive of the idea entirely. Yeah. What, I, think what, I think what Peter's saying is um, we're most likely to fall into the pattern or the trap of, hey, we're going to go along with this thing, but we sure aren't going to like it. Yeah. And that's not biblical hospitality. Yeah. Or maybe it's the idea of your something like a Thanksgiving. It's it's perfect with just you and your family and people that you love, and the thought of adding someone who doesn't know your family and doesn't has never been there, and it would be kind of weird, and maybe it's awkward, and I don't that the idea of actually opening it up to someone other than just your secured few, like that makes you like I don't want to do that. That would be yeah. I would grumble about that internally. Or. Uh, I'd like to have them over, but they've got those two little kids. Yeah. And I just, they're not, like, they're kind of rambunctious and mm-hmm. rowdy, and I don't know, man. It's just too much. Or I want to have them over, and then they're here, and you find out, oh, this is a little less pleasant than I thought, and I'm going to grumble through it, and I'm going to grumble after it. Like, mm-hmm. all of these are different ways in which we might, in a resentful, sort of begrudging and complaining way enter into this ministry. And it's like every other kind of ministry. It's not only the Lord's work mm-hmm. that's important that we do show hospitality. Yeah. It's that we must do so in the Lord's way, yes. which is with joy and thanksgiving and grace. Yes. So think about this, though. Peter sees this, showing hospitality, continuing in love, as the end times instructions for the church. That's shocking. So, so like, again, some people getting all worked up about a lot of things in terms of is, is the end times near? Is Jesus coming back soon? Is there things going on that are wild in the world? I don't know the answer to really about uh, what goes on in the newspaper and what its connection is to to. The like biblical prophecy or anything. All I know is that First Peter chapter four says, when pers- when Peter wrote it two thousand years ago, that the end of all things is at hand, and the text hasn't changed. And he says, "You want to know what to do in the end times? Yeah. Like, don't get in a tizzy and start, you know, mapping out prophecies." He says. Continue in love 
and open your home up to strangers. Like, that's what he says to That is so not what I would think would be the most urgent need. Yeah. It, yeah. Like, if, it, let, let's concede the point. The end of all things is here. Sure. It's upon us. Yes. It's right around the corner. Whether sure. that's tomorrow or a thousand years from now, whatever. Sure. We're to see it as, yeah, it's imminent. Uh-huh. And the urgent need of the moment isn't, you know, political movements. The, the urgent need of the moment isn't more YouTube videos mm-hmm. or more podcasts or, you know. Doomsday fixating. Yeah. And and it's not the next election. Like mm-hmm. the, the urgent need of the moment, if indeed the end times are upon us. Which Peter says they are. And have been for a long right. time. So if that's true, he's and, and I mean, I think we can connect a why to this, and that is the, the most important thing you can do is to open your home and your heart and your life to people who don't know Christ, because if the end is upon us, then that means that a lot of people are on the brink of a Christless eternity, and you may well be the only person positioned to present the gospel to them, to embody the risen Christ to them, to demonstrate uh, the love and the grace of God to them in a profound and powerful and personal way. Yes. So the ministry of hospitality is not an add-on. It's not like, hey, this is something we should think about at some point. Mm -mm. Peter's going like, hey, in the most dramatic of moments of our lives, in in history kind of pressing in, squeezing us, yeah, the the most important thing we can think about right now is love each other really faithfully and open up your lives. Yeah. So I heard Ray Orland one time say uh, he was thinking about this very same context concept we're thinking about, but uh, in the book of Revelation. And he said, the book of Revelation wasn't written so that we would know when to build bomb shelters. The book of Revelation was built, I mean, was, was written so that we would build bigger tables. Mm. Like the point is, we know the end is coming. We need to build bigger tables to bring more people to that table mm-hmm. that we're actually going to sit at with the Lord one day in yeah. his hospitality. Yeah. Like, so we actually want to connect the end of all things to the ministry of hospitality. And, okay, so again, if we go back to biblical theology and the, like we know the welcoming of the stranger uh, that God says, this is what I did for you, do mm-hmm. it for each other. Yeah. Well, what does Jesus say he's going ahead of us to do? To build us he's, a house. <laughs> yeah, he's going to prepare a room for us, a uh-huh. table. Like, he's preparing a place for us yes. to dwell forever in his presence, to find mm-hmm. eternal safety and eternal mm-hmm. comfort and eternal mm-hmm. security in him, with him, for his glory. And so Jesus is the ultimate expression of hospitality. Yeah. And that's what he's doing right now, is he's actually right now, with the end of all things at hand, he's saying, hey, you practice hospitality. What's he doing? He's actually practicing hospitality. Yeah. He's readying things for us. Yes. That's incredible. That is incredible. Yes. Yes. Okay, so we've done our eschatology. So when you, that, I'm just thinking this through. Uh-huh. So like when you're vacuuming the house and straightening things up and preparing the meal, and getting the table set mm-hmm. for people who <laughs> you're not even sure you want to come over to your house. Yes. You're doing in that moment Something that's actually the present ministry of Jesus. Yes, absolutely true. That's incredible. I've never like mm-hmm. even thought about that. Yeah, yeah. You you are you are following the way of Jesus. Yeah, 
That's wild. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it's a great connection. Okay, last text. Now let's get us a little. First Timothy chapter 3. <laughs> Wait, let's get us? Yeah. Are we coming for people? We're, 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 we're doing eschatology and hospitality. First Timothy 3. Yeah. The uh, requirements oh, requ- yeah. for Deep. being an elder. Yeah. Uh, here's, here's the first few. First Timothy 3, chap- I mean verse 2 and 3. Therefore, an overseer elder must be above reproach. Uh, I think I'm kind of a, am I above reproach? You think so? You're getting there. Okay. No, I'm kidding. I'm somewhat above reproach. Yes. The husband of one wife? Check. 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 Uh, sober-minded? Would you call yourself sober-minded? Almost would you call? All, would you call me sober-minded? Almost all the time. Okay. <laughs> yeah, I would call myself. No, would you, you call? I'm sober-minded. Self-controlled? Yeah. Most of the time? Yeah. I've seen you get lively on a basketball court. Oh, I've been I've been very uh, what was that self control? I've lost self control <laughs> a time or two. Yeah, I confess to that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Publicly, confess <laughs> respectable. Uh, I respect you. Okay. Here's the one. Hospitable. No. How would you evaluate yourself in, in myself on, on, hosp- on a hospital? Um, being hospitable, being a hospitable per- uh, as a requirement of being an elder pastor. Uh, I think I think our family does a lot of this actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, this is probably an area that we, in a, for a lot of years, have. Uh, th- there were years where we probably did too much of this in the way that I was talking about it before. Like we did it, but there was some grumbling attached to it. Yeah, <laughs> and that partly had to do with the fact that we probably practiced too much of it in the early days of our church and mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so forth, where we were almost had, uh, you know, to a degree where it just was it. It was um, uh, it was stressful. Yeah. Um, but I think we're in a better measure of that now, mm-hmm. where we do practice hospitality. We do show hospitality. I think when we do, we're mostly able to do so joyfully and enjoy it. Mm-hmm. And it's probably less to, to a lesser degree, but more, I hope more fruitful maybe yeah. than it was previously. Yeah. Now I, I will say this: I think we do struggle. You know, we will do this with new people in our lives, new people to the church, new people in the community. I wish we, I wish we had more context with more people who don't know Christ. Um, yeah, and I certainly don't think we've done this among the poor, specifically. Yeah. And I think that's something I have to grapple with. Yeah, I would say for me, I think when me and Allie do it, we do it well, but it feels like something that we really have to. Uh, we have to really be intentional about like fitting it into our lives. Mm-hmm. It hasn't necessarily, it hasn't become a rhythm of our life or kind of like just a thing that feels natural and like, it's just kind of naturally happening and built in. Mm-hmm. It's more something like we, we see the need and so we'll do it, but we have to kind of mechanically try to fit it into, mm-hmm. to our, what is our natural rhythm of life. Yeah. And that's the problem, right? Is that like, our natural living rhythm of life doesn't include hospitality. Right. You know, and I think, like, I feel that of like, in some ways, and I'm I'm probably not the only one feeling this, where it's like, I've built a whole life without even considering this as a part of what life is. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's, it's like, it's something that I have to 
put on top of my life rather than make it my life. And that's the that's where the problem is. Mm-hmm. It's like, I, it, you, you get what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. I, I, I will say this. I, I do think a place that my wife, Betsy's she's really excelled in this has been, um, and, and this absolutely, by the way, counts. Like, this is not to diminish it. This is to say I think this absolutely falls into this. Um, her openness to children yeah. uh, in our community and in our, um, in our neighborhood and so forth. We have had a home um, uh, that has been wide, wide open to a lot of um, a lot of children in a range of <laughs> um, family situations and backgrounds, um, and and my wife has really created a place where they could experience. In some cases, they're, they, they they've got great parents, but they're maybe only children or something like that, and so. My wife's created a place where they can come and be part of a larger family environment, mm-hmm. and, and and some of them have been very difficult, very hurting children over the years, and um, and and Betsy has really loved to create an environment uh, that maintains some measure of safety for our kids, but that helps to fold in kids um, that maybe don't know the Lord and don't have larger families, or maybe don't have healthy or whole families, and and try to give them um, a place to kind of breathe and be safe and stuff that like we were talking about. So, um, so that's an area where I would just affirm that she has super like excelled. Yeah. I think that's a, that's huge. Yeah. Especially as society becomes kids, kids are harder to fit into the structures of society in some ways these days, especially socially and a lot of the options that people have for. Yeah. I think we can sometimes make the, the, the mistake of, of neglecting, ministry to children altogether or to the extent that we do it we we neglect to think of it as legitimate ministry yeah definitely definitely um okay let's try to think turn the corner towards thinking a little bit more practically um in terms of our our situation especially as we are where we are um and where i think a lot of us have especially in the church we have good we have good connections and Christian friends, but the, 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 the jump to like getting people who are unchurched and people who are not Christians, people who are strangers in some ways, to a place where they feel comfortable coming to us as Christians is hard and harder um, because of a lot of, a lot of uh, factors. And I really love this... Uh, this analogy that Tim Keller uses um, in an article that he wrote pretty, pretty, uh, wasn't far off from when he died because mm-hmm. there's supposed to be a second part and he, his wife had another person write the second part mm-hmm. of the ar- article. Um, but it was called Lemonade on the Porch. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's actually a, he's applying a, a, an analogy that, uh, that Abraham Kuyper actually used. Shout out. I love to put some Abraham Kuyper on the, <laughs> on the podcast. Um, Abraham Kuyper was from a generation ago early. He, he came up with, the, with, an, with an analogy like this in the early 1900s, the first decade of the 1900s. And his, he was from the Netherlands and uh, talking about his... And uh, he's your son's namesake. Yes, my son is named Kuyper. So you, you can tell my, my admiration for uh, Abraham Kuyper, but... Uh, he talked about how in in Kuiper's writing a hundred years ago, right? So think about this in in Europe in the Netherlands. He talks about how in previous generations, 
the the kind of way into Christianity. If you think about it, think about it like you think about the temple, right? So there's an inner court and there's a forecourt or an mm-hmm. outer court. He said society, because it was very Christian, operated as kind of a forecourt, an outer court for people that made it an easy transition into the temple. And he said we've gotten to a place where we've kind of lost the forecourt. There's only the inner court and nothing. Mm-hmm. So like we've kind of lost that bridge to get all the way into the, into the temple. And so we have to think about different uh, ways of thinking. So this is Kuiper. He's writing in the 1900s and he's, this is how he feels about losing the forecourt. He says, quote, you feel that they are not only too distracted talking about people too taken up with particulars, but also that the internal spring for directing one's inward life Upward has become unhinged. So he's saying people just aren't thinking in the same categories as they used to in terms of, man, I've, I've really got to figure out the God thing. I've got to get right with God. I'm, I'm a sinner. There's a lot less natural ability to go from not Christian to Christian or in a Christian space from not being in a Christian space. And so Keller comes up with this analogy instead, a more modern analogy. He talks about uh, how we've we've lost the front porch, basically in our neighborhoods. You know, in a gener- in his generation, front porches were huge on the street. Mm-hmm. Like, you know, they were the eyes of the of the neighborhood. They were the where you fraternize with the with the with neighbors. You could uh, talk to people. You, you've kind of like a neighborhood that didn't have people on front porches was a dangerous neighborhood when he mm-hmm. was growing up. But a neighborhood with front porches was a safe place. It was a community. And uh, it was a way where you could come and you could kind of, you could peer into somebody's home without going in before you did. Mm. You're getting to know them on the porch, yeah. you know, over and over. And so he said, how do we in our culture create front porches for people mm. to get into the church and Christianity? Mm. What are the ways we can kind of rebuild the front porches of society um, as individuals that yeah. allow for people to, to be able to peek in and have a bridge mm-hmm. to kind of make that step into the mm-hmm. into the home yeah do we have any he offered on that <laughs> he, he offered labrie as an example <laughs> that's funny um i mean I, I i i can think of i mean uh, there's so many things that we've moved from the front to the back right yeah and that's essentially what he's talking about is that movement has isolated mm-hmm. neighbors from one another and yes it's kind of privatized our our lives and so I think um, you know <laughs> I, I've talked about this probably before but the idea of like moving the grill to the front mm. or I've thought about doing this and I, ha- and I never have and I want to is <laughs> like what if we did like um, on a Saturday uh, morning or, you know, afternoon, depending on what kind of food you want to do and when, but, like, during the fall or the spring, like, having a neighborhood cookout where you just, but you take everything to the front, and you just, like, man, we're going to have our grill out there, and we're going to cook every, anything that anybody comes over, and we're going to have tables out here and have football games on outside, like, but I think trying to do, phys, like, physically, literally moving things to the front porch, you know, yeah. matters. I think in certain kinds of neighborhoods, like, in in more urban environments, you had that same idea was, like, the stoop. Yeah. Right? Yes. Where you could sit outside the, the building and mm-hmm. everybody kind of gathers on the stairs or something like that. Um, front porches might be places like 
uh, at your neighborhood pool or, mm-hmm. or um, your apartment complex, like, mm-hmm. what do they call the community center kind of things or whatever, like yeah. in places like that. Um, gyms may be something mm-hmm. of a front porch kind of place. Yeah. Um, so but, he, but I do think in a literal way, I think yeah. it would be helpful to try to do is do more things out front rather than out back. Yeah. So this is what Keller says about, he says, quote, the original church porch as we can see from the New Testament, was simply a highly hospitable Christian home, a place to which non-believing neighbors and colleagues are constantly invited and where Christian faith is uh, self-consciously modeled and discussed. Mm. I think that that's the important part is... Self-consciously modeled and modeled discussed. Modeled and discussed. So, one, are we creating an environment where people can come in and actually see what Christianity... Like, they get to see what our marriages look like in some ways, yeah. right? They get to see how, things that we're doing with our children, or they get, they get to see uh, ways in which we as an individual order our home in terms of yeah. praying before a meal or yeah. something like that. How do know? we interact with family? Yeah. How do we, um, how do we keep the environment? How do you put yeah. your kids to bed? How do you do the evening, yeah, like meal yeah. routine? How do yeah. you, how do you serve your kids or your spouse? Mm-hmm. Um, Let them see that. Yeah. Let them see that. And don't be afraid to discuss it. Yeah. To discuss, hey, you notice we pray before the meal. You ever notice why? Or, or, or yeah. be, I think I think this is one of the places where I think a lot of us are actually not bad at, we'll have a, a, somebody over our house, but will we actually be able to engage in meaningful dialogue mm-hmm. outside of just weather and sports and what's going on in the neighborhood and those sorts of things? Yeah. Uh, do, and I think... That's where we can actually be a huge breath of fresh air to a lot of people because of how polarized everything is in life. Mm-hmm. Is there a lot of spaces people are coming into and actually having interesting conversations, even from places of disagreement with each other? Uh, I don't think that's going on. And I think people actually could see that as a breath of fresh air to like talk about serious things, yeah. even if we know there's tension in yeah. the room around them. And this is one of the things we've encouraged. Our, like We want our community groups to do more of is like, mm-hmm. hey, together as a community, like this isn't something you have to do only in you your can, home yeah, just by yourself. Your, partner, like, partner you do this with your brothers and sisters where not only do they see your family interact, but they actually see you interact with community, with your friends, with... Uh, you know, having a game night and a barbecue or something like that that mm-hmm. you invite people to, but yet seeing it somehow in a distinctively Christian way. I mean, if we go back to Peter's letter, it again, there's a, there's a sort of shocking non-grand ordinariness to what he's calling us into. Yeah, He's going, man, if you want to have a dramatic impact at a dramatic moment, like the climax of history like hurling you know to its conclusion all that you want to have a real impact let let lost people see into the ordinary christian life yeah i mean like it couldn't be a whole lot easier than that yeah yeah in yeah. certain ways now yeah. it it requires something else it costs us something yeah but but all he's saying is, like, you don't have to, like, we think this dramatic big moment in our history or things kind of, like, big things going on require a big response from us and that we mm-hmm. do big displays of, of you know, like, we go big because <laughs> yeah. that's the way the world likes things. Yeah. And he's like, no, 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 you don't have to do that. Yeah. Just yeah. be a Christian for goodness sake. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And, be, and, like, take some shots with people. Like, I, yeah. I think a lot of social... So, 
a story that I always think about in this is, so last time on the podcast, we, we recommended a book, The Gospel Comes with the House Key. Yeah. This will also be a recommendation for this month yeah, as well. Sure. Please read this book. It's all about the topic we're talking about. Yeah. But it's by a lady named Rosera Butterfield. And if you don't know Rosaria Butterfield and her story, like what we're talking about, hospitality, is why she's a Christian. Yeah. So Rosaria Butterfield was a tenured professor at Syracuse University in the Women's and Queer Studies program. Yeah. She literally, in her own words, she wrote the literature that made LGBTQ rights mainstream in America, like published books on mm-hmm. this. And she was a lesbian herself in a long-term lesbian relationship and was uh, doing some work trying to get at Christians, figure them why they're so against all this stuff. And she got in a, 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 a pastor at a local church. Sifting through piles and piles of a lot of hate mail from Christians. Yes. Who wrote to her. Yeah. He, this pastor, we're talking about, not. we're not talking about like the, the sexy megatrick pastor down the tree. We're talking like this guy at a small little Presbyterian, Presbyterian church, church, very conservative. like New York or something. Like, yeah. yeah. Uh, who, who just wrote her, hey. You know, would love to talk to you about some of this stuff. Would love me and my wife would love to have you over for dinner. He, I, I remember her saying this because it just struck me that he writes her, and uh, like her, her her writings bear in mind skewer Christians. Yes. And he wrote to her saying, like, man, what an unbelievably gifted writer she yeah, is. Yeah, yeah, something I like love that. that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, he noticed, like, she had yeah. a real talent. And if you read her books now, she's an unbelievably gifted writer. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she's the, she was a legit you know, professor. And so he takes a shot and says, hey, we would love to have you over for dinner. Him and his wife have him over dinner. You know what they didn't do? They didn't hide all the Bibles and not talk anything. Know what they did? She came over and she she kept coming over like every night for these dinners. Uh, They would, he would, the husband would read, the pastor would read a scripture. They would sing a hymn (laughs) and they would eat. Like, and they just, that's just all they did. And they'd have some deep conversations about these differences and it just went on and on. And she converted to Christianity from those encounters, left her partner, resigned from Syracuse University, literally told all of her. She was supervising Ph.D. students writing dissertations on LGBTQ uh, rights and said, I can't do this anymore. Mm-hmm. She left everything and converted to Christianity and is now. She's now a wife to a Presbyterian minister. Yes. And a mom yes. who, who's homeschooling how many, like six or seven I kids? She, I, I mean, think she, most of them they, adopted. Yeah, they're, they're, everybody's much older now. And, I and mean, she did homeschool. All yeah. of that, I mean, you was, couldn't have told me in a million years this lady would ever be converted. And uh, all of that came out of can you come over for dinner? Knowing this was a person that this was go- this was not this was not going to be an easy dinner. Yeah. This was going to be this was not yeah. going to be a walk in the park. And then doing that uncomfortable dinner, yeah. dozens and dozens of times. Dozens and dozens of times. Yes, dozens and dozens of times. It's amazing. If you want to hear her story, the, the, she writes about it in a little biography called uh, Confessions. "Confessions of an Unlikely yeah. Convert." Yeah, you can read about that. But she, hospitality. Yeah. Conversion for her. Yeah. It's incredible. Like, it's just, yeah. it's, it's unbelievable. Um, it's really cool to be encouraged by some of those stories and, and think we could easily, we could easily yeah, and, and again, offer Peter, ourselves Peter in that goes, way. Hey, the end is at hand. Mm-hmm. So do that. Yeah. Do that. Have somebody over for a meal. Like, I wonder, and I think that's sort of the, mm-hmm. the thing we all have to think through for this month is going, okay, where do we start? Yeah. 
number one, where are you in this kind of thing? Like, do you do like all of us needs to stretch ourselves? Need yeah. to stretch ourselves a little bit here. So maybe you're starting from nowhere. Maybe you're starting from somewhere. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But what's the next step you can take? Yeah. Who's like be prayerful mm-hmm. about like we're not saying. I mean, yes, yeah, shoot your shot, but do it prayerfully. Mm-hmm. Who's somebody in your workplace, yeah. in your neighborhood, in your sphere of your range of relationships, the gym you exercise at, the somebody that you pass at the dog yeah. park or on the walk, whatever. Yeah. Who's somebody that you can invite into your life, into your home, offer a meal to, and then, for goodness sake, be a Christian yeah. when they come over. And who can who can I partner with here at the church? Yeah. That like, hey, we, we both know this person maybe. Yeah. Or maybe these this person or this family, they, they live adjacent to us, or we both know them from work or something mm-hmm. like that. How can we partner with each other yeah. to almost surround sound people with mm-hmm. with hospitality in our church. How can we as a community group or a cohort think about using some of even our community cohort time to actually like join forces to mm-hmm. be hospitable to other people? Right. Right. Um, yeah, so for community group leaders to think about, hey, how do we weave this into the flow of our community yeah. group meetings and stuff? Or how do we just invite outsiders in to be yeah. partakers of the same you know the same group that, dynamics. That, that could be that could be a neighborhood game night. Yeah, that could be a, a people from your work, having them over once a month. Uh, there's now this month is Thanksgiving. Yes, and there is a way to think about this as well. That's going to maybe press even further than that, and that is to say, who are people outside of the family of God, inside the family of God too, yes, but outside of the sure. family of God? Is there anybody in your orbit who? might not have family to share the Thanksgiving holiday with. Mm-hmm. You talk about an opportunity yeah. to where you get to share the gospel yes. in, in, in kind of ways that it, like, it sets you up. If, if you do it on a normal time and you have people over, it might feel awkward bringing up certain things. Mm-hmm. Do it at Thanksgiving, you get the opportunity to talk about, man, what are you thankful for? Yeah. And you get to have you know, the opportunity to give praise to God for his goodness, his kindness. Yeah. And, and not even in just the sweet things of I mean, life. You could share your testimony in that moment. Yeah. Right in that so moment. So I think Thanksgiving is an, I mean, it is a, it's, it's, it's teeing it up for us. Yeah. And it's something that we could think about, yeah. uh, I think, as a community. Yeah. Like, how do we take advantage of these things to obey, to follow Jesus and obey Jesus and heed the words of Peter to say, hey, look, the last days are upon us. Yes. Therefore. Yes. You know, so, uh, another, another example of hospitality that may inspire others that I was thinking of this week was uh, two different couples in our, one one no longer at our church, one who's still at, who is at our church, uh, but who have really been intentional about uh, hosting international students in their home. Mm. So Paul and Rachel Ulrich, um, yeah. Paul was an elder at our church for, for many years. Yeah, for sure. And uh, we love them to death. And, and they, for years, Paul Paul's a, a professor of biology down at Georgia State, and uh, would intentionally find international students, because Georgia State is crazy international, who needed a place to to live, and they would invite them into their home, and those students would stay and live for extended periods of time. Never People from all over the world that they'd never met before, who they let one or, or so live in their basement with them and just be a part of their family. You'd go over there, they'd, that person would be eating dinner with them, hanging out with It's just part of the family. I mean... It, and it was incredible the relationships that they would build um, by simply just inviting international students into your home. And we're talking about people who are introverts, <laughs> like heavy like introverts, people, heavy introverts, yeah. who were convicted. Man, 
the, the harvest of the nations the is right in my backyard at my work, yeah. and I can easily open up my house. Yeah. And they did that. Another per- people I was thinking about is Ron and Jackie with some yeah. of the international students that they've had, sure. um, that they've had living in their home before, and uh, just some of them have been around our church when they've been here. And yeah. There's a lot of opportunities for the nations to, yeah. that have come to us. Yeah, and like even, um, I mean, Ryan... Uh, Ryan Goldsmith uh, made friends with international students and connected them with Scotty, and they had them over at the Macaulays and like the, a group of people. Yeah. Last year, they had a series of. I think they've done a uh, Thanksgiving for some of those. Yeah, people for so. for people who are displaced in a sense from their own homes, but here as students, mm-hmm. and and they don't get invited into a lot of American homes, yeah. and so creating a place where they get to not just have a good meal and be in, in the home of, of of an American, but they get to talk about specifically about traditions around holidays and yep. cultural expressions of these things and really meaningful points of connection. And I mean, with international students and, and so forth, like that's the kind of thing where like you may be the only American who's done that for them. Mm-hmm. And what a unique opportunity to bear witness to, yeah. to Christ. Yeah, for sure. So. so, and we'd love to hear your ideas, things that you think of, things that you would love to, would, we could share. Yeah. Um, with people thinking about this topic this is a the rest five, of the month. This is probably a five podcast episode month <laughs> because this one will be coming out, I think, on the first. Oh, yeah. Um, and um, and so I say that to say we've got, you know, if you, it, it, we would love to revisit this subject even for mm-hmm. portions of, for, of uh, episodes to come in the next couple of weeks. So, yeah, if you have ideas, please, like, let us know, like, because um, we want to just kind of stimulate one another towards these things. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Well, we hope that we stimulated hospitality at least to get us going here. And uh, makes me wonder what are you doing for tonight? What am I doing tonight? Yeah. You want to come over? Hopefully I'm <laughs> shooting threes over your son. Oh, yeah, that's right. Or two that's of right. your sons. Uh, Will you t- be t- shooting tonight? Tonight's the, no, tonight's the night where the entire community opens their homes, giving away their candy. Yes. Making dentists very wealthy. Yes, indeed. But what's we don't your favorite, well, real quick, and we'll oh close. Gosh. What's your favorite holiday candy? Halloween candy? Halloween candy? I don't know. Or or just, just candy, candy in general. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I've always loved Kit Kat bars. Kit Kat bars. Yeah. I'm Reese's Peanut Butter Cup Man. Wow. But I'm sure you already knew that. No? No. Okay. Well, I am. All right. Well, happy Reformation Day. Happy Reformation Day to you, to you. all you Protestants. <laughs> <laughs> Hallelujah. All uh, right. Y'all have a good one.